Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hi, I'm Susan from Safeway. Are you ready for a road trip? You can save on gas by shopping at Safeway. It's easy. Shop at Safeway and earn gas reward points. Then save up to 20 cents per gallon at participating Chevron or Texaco stations or up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations. That's right, up to $1 per gallon at Safeway stations just for shopping with us. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Limited to 25 gallons in a single fill of other restrictions and exclusions apply. Visit store or Safeway.com for details. This is Susan from Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Jokic behind his back. What it tastes like, Jokic. That's your sitter. Wow. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the Pickaxe Pundit Show. I am Zach Mikosh, DenverStiffs.com. You are listening to Nothing But Net Radio. It is 4 p.m. on a beautiful Saturday afternoon here in Colorado. Uh, and if we, you are new to the show, hopefully with the, the clever title of Pickaxe Pundits and the fact that we're in Denver, you figured out this is, in fact, the Nuggets show, a Denver <laughs> Nuggets show, so... That is that is the topic of the week and every week here at four o'clock on Nothing But Net Radio. Um, very excited, very excited for this show because we have uh, our newest member of Denver Stiffs making his very first appearance on the Pickaxe Pundit Show. That is, I want to make sure I I, I one up the uh, locked on locked on Nuggets podcast. So I'm going to go ahead and say your name is Brendan Vogget. <laughs> <And we'll laughs> Hey Zach, how's it going, man? Hey, can I give you a quick tangent off the off the bat? In Let's elementary do it. School, yes, they uh, they called about. me to the the principal's office and they said, "Well, Brandon Vajite, please come to the office." Vajite, yeah, which I just didn't go out of protest. But that was probably my favorite mispronunciation. I like uh, that. Yeah, right. That classed it up a bit. <laughs> Vajite, that one always <laughs> stuck with me. <laughs> How you doing though, man? I'm excited to be on the show. I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Like I said, we're excited to have you. Um, we uh, normally we would have a third guest, but um, we figured with Brendan on his first time, we could we could just do it the two of us. Um, otherwise, man, I gotta tell you, like uh, I'm uh, I'm 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 still in in Nuggets withdrawal right now. I can't um, uh, having a tough time watching the playoffs and the Nuggets not being in there, especially for the second year in a row. You know, for them to get so close and then I agree, man. I agree, especially watching the Spurs play in that Warriors series. Obviously, it would right. be wishful thinking. To, I'm not going to take it to the furthest extent like some Nuggets fans and say Denver had a chance in that series. But yeah, Nuggets in five. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Adam, Adam was starting to talk himself into it for a bit. Uh, but I obviously, you know, against a Curryless Warriors, the Nuggets have a lot more confidence than most teams do. Uh, they right. may not have won more games, but it might have been more fun. So I'm with you, right. dude. I love the playoffs, but I miss Nuggets basketball. Exactly. It's it's a bummer. It's a bummer. We have to keep going through. Um, we all we will actually. So we will get into that warrior the warriors a little bit here at the end of our show. Um, we're kind of going to follow last week's format. We'll we'll keep going uh, with our our player uh, evaluations. Last week we did Coach Malone and Nikola Jokic. Uh, this season the next two biggest names on the roster, uh, arguably at least, uh, Gary Harris and Jamal Murray, or I guess Jamal Murray and then Gary Harris. That is the order we will go in. We'll break down both of their seasons. Uh, that'll take up the first part of our show. And then on the second half, uh, we'll get back in. We'll dive back into the, some general NBA playoff stuffs, including talking about that Warriors series uh, and the Pelicans, who I believe uh, well, I think are going to be an interesting matchup. Probably probably the most interesting team I took out of the first round. Definitely. Um, Definitely. At least in the Western Conference. I guess, in the, I guess in the Eastern Conference, there's still a little bit more that's uh, left to get be settled, which we will also get into 
uh, as well. But let's dive into it, man. Let's get right uh, into our first topic, which is Jamal Murray, the Blue Arrow. Uh, his sophomore season is complete. He, of course, was a uh, was a starter this year in in comparison to last season when he came off the bench. Um, do you remember Brendan? Did he ever take over the starting? I, he never really took over the starting job, right? It was it was Moutier for a while, and then and then they gave it to Nelson. Yeah, that's right. He never won it outright while Nelson right. was there. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then and then they basically won it uh, and they and they cut Mary Nelson. Um, so that was that's kind of how it started, right? That it's an interesting way for his season to start. If if you guys remember, the uh, Nuggets were in an open uh, three team comp or three team three player competition uh, for the starting point guard position. Murray, Emmanuel Moody, and Jameer Nelson. Um, it was funny how I, I thought in preseason Jameer Nelson probably had uh, the best best preseason of the yeah. three, which is maybe why they cut him. Um, <laughs> just kind of save uh, save uh, the team from themselves and make them make them play their young guards. Murray ends up being the starter. He plays eighty one games. Uh, started eighty. The one game he missed was because he was in the concussion protocol. Um, so kind of like last last week, right? The first thing when we, when we get into these plays, I want to talk about is, um, you know, was if you look, take a look at the season as a whole, uh, where would you see it? was it was it a success? Was it a failure? Uh, was it kind of just par for the course? And and with Murray, I think it, it's really hard to say anything other than that it was a successful season for him. I mean, uh, we know how durable and tough uh, he is. We saw him play through two sports hernias last season. This season, when fully healthy um, and also getting uh, uh, about a 10-minute-a-game bump, you know, he improves his scoring average by almost seven points. Uh, he he uh, averages more assists. He averages more rebounds. A lot of that just comes with getting more minutes. But one of the things you notice is his shooting percentages uh, also, also significantly better this year. And that comes with uh, having a bit of a slump there at the beginning of the season, as we saw uh, him both both seasons he's kind of had that slump to start out the year. Uh, he ends up still being uh, having a, a magnificent season shooting wise and and being I think I think uh, the reason I would call his season a success is I think everybody where they were at the beginning of the season like we said in a competition uh, to figure out who's going to be the starting point guard moving forward with the Nuggets they know who that is it's definitely going to be Jamal Murray um, and, and he's going to be kind of one of their. Uh, their core pieces, one of the people they build around. They know that now. And just knowing that and getting that assurance by watching him play this year uh, makes it a successful season to me. Brendan, do you agree? Um, or would you would you be more critical of the year he had? No, I wholeheartedly agree with you, Zach. It'd be pretty hard to look at Murray's season and say it was anything but a success. You pointed right. out that big jump in all the major statistical categories. And I love that we see a jump in the field goal attempts uh, without see, and we see in a jump in the field goal percentage as well, right? Typically, when right, you see, to do. right, when you see increased shots like that, it's harder to remain as efficient. Uh, Murray made the big jump you'd expect from that rookie to the sophomore year. One stat I really like, Zach, and I'm not going to go super stat heavy to describe his season, but there's one I love, and that's that his points per shot attempt jumped up from last year. Uh, from 106 points per 100 possessions to 118.4 this year. That's a massive jump. Right. While his usage itself only bumped up about 1%. So what we saw was Murray just making more of his opportunities, right? It wasn't a concerted effort to get him involved, to go away from what they did well last year. It was just in the time that Murray was on the court, he made the most of those minutes. So... It, it's really, I mean, from a statistical perspective, it's virtually impossible to look at his season and, and think it was anything but a success. And then it's the intangible stuff, Zach, that I really like, the emergence of him as a closer, that Mamba mentality, yes. right? Uh, I think he outclosed Damian Lillard twice down the stretch in some key Portland games. So he's got a ways to go that, in that department, but this is a team that seemed to be lacking a go-to guy a Mamba mentality guy in the fourth quarters. And so we saw a glimpse of Murray's future as probably being that guy. And so, right. yeah, man, I, I you know, there, look, there's, it wasn't a perfect season and Murray's got some room for growth, but he developed into the player they needed him to this year to have a shot at the playoffs. And uh, despite the uh, disappointing results, obviously. Right. Yeah, no, I, that's a great point um, about the closer part. I, there were multiple times this season um, where where I said, man, just you know, you're in like the last five minutes of the game, and it, and it was just obvious. I was just like, you know, just give the ball to Jamal. 
Like just every time down, just give it to him. He's right. the one who's who's got it going. He's the one um, who's hitting these big shots. I don't know that the Nuggets have had a guy like that since really since since Melo. You know, when you think about it, I mean, I think that was one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest shortcomings of uh, of that fifty seven win team season was the. Uh, did I say that right? Yeah, I think I said that right. Anyways, you did. <laughs> um, that was uh, the one of the biggest shortfalls is they didn't have a go-to guy. They almost were were uh, too too passive uh, with that team. And a little bit Ty Lawson was that for them, but you know he wasn't. He was never a type of guy you felt like okay, even if he's got a hand right in his face, um, he can still go out and get us that bucket because he's just that good right now. Uh, Murray was uh, the only guy I really thought consistently. Uh, you could say was that guy this year. I mean, a little bit of Will Barton, and then um, Nicole Jokic certainly in the final game of the season. Uh, it felt like that, but Murray was the only guy throughout the season um, who I thought provided that for them, which is very, very big because, like you said, that that sort of Mamba mentality. Um, I think you need that, man. I think you, especially in the playoffs, I think it's it's a really important uh, part of being successful in the playoffs is having a guy who can do that. And also, the thing about Murray is. Is if you look at like his games, the games where he scores, it's very rare for him to score few points but have a lot of shot attempts, right? Like he, when he doesn't have it going, he knows how to shut that mentality down and be like, all right, I need to work on distributing to other people, uh, making plays for other people, and then maybe you know taking a few shots that are just really good looks um, because obviously I don't have my shot going right now. Like he has that ability to turn it off when he needs to as well, which I think is is an underrated part of his game. Yeah, that's that's true, Zach, although I will say I think some of that is symptomatic of one of his few flaws. I think Murray is not a guy who creates a lot for himself off the dribble, and a lot of his looks, even when he's on a roll, are coming within the flow of the offense, are coming when his teammates are trying to find him, right? right. Trying to find him in an advantageous position because they know he's hot. And so... One thing I love about, and this is a bit of a tangent, we're not going to do a Jokic segment here, but one thing I love about the ball being in his hands is that he gets to sort of decide when the Murray button is pushed, right? When the Barton button is pushed. Although the Barton Barton decides when that button's pushed, but, but <laughs> right. the point stands for Murray. Um, but I agree, man. I, like, especially what you said about the mentality stuff, for a 21-year-old to show that consistently, a desire to take the last shot, right, or the the, right. the big shots in the fourth quarter, let alone the fact that he's he's clearly capable of draining these shots, just the fact that he wants to. Like, as a head coach, we heard Michael Malone say it multiple times this year, like, what a treat that is to know you have right. a 21-year-old who approaches the game that way. And it's reflected, Zach, in his free throw percentage, especially in clutch game situations where he shot – he was nearly perfect on the season. And obviously right. – the moment that stands out when you say free throws are the three that he hit to beat, you know, when the Nuggets beat the Bucks in overtime. Exactly. So, yeah, it's all that stuff where Murray is not exactly who the Nuggets need him to be yet to be the optimal versions of themselves, but he's clearly on a path to becoming at least close to a version of the player that they need if they are to be Western Conference contenders down the line. Right. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. That's, you know, people throw around the Steph Curry comparison, and there, there, there's in fact some statistical, uh, you know, stuff you can look at in terms of uh, shooting percentages and whatnot, and in uh, between those two guys that, at the start of their career, um, and you can see it. I, it would be it would be ridiculous to expect um, Jamal to to become who is a guy like Curry, who's one of the best players do, do uh, to ever like, play the game. Do you like that comp, Zach? Because I, uh, I don't actually, to be honest. I, yeah, I think it's somewhat lazy um, because it's like a good shooters right. who are, you know, like 6'3-ish point guard kind of guys. I'm not I, – I, I, I don't see Jamal as the, the – like you were saying, the playmaker with the ball in his hands um, that Steph is. I think that's the biggest difference between the two. I also just don't think he's as good of a shooter as Steph is, which is not to say that he's a bad shooter. He's not at all. It's just, that's a pretty high bar. <laughs> right, that's like the, you're talking about. I mean, in my opinion, you're talking about the greatest shooter of all time. Like, yeah, it, it, it's hard to, it's yeah. hard to you know compare I, him to that. And I agree about the playmaking. I I think Steph is actually overall just a much more complete player than Murray. Right. Let alone right. the shooting. The comp I like as far as like ceilings and superstar comps. I actually much prefer Damian Lillard, and that's yep. why I was you know, so stoked to watch Murray sort of outperform him twice this season, because that's a guy that I really see Murray like just a cold blooded 
guy who's who's going to try to get points his way. Murray can't create for himself off the dribble the way Lillard can, but it, it's closer than Steph Curry. I mean, right. Murray just doesn't have that gravity, but but who does? Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that, and that's what I was saying. Like, I mean, it's it's an unfair comparison to even even try and bring him there. But I think the point that I was trying to get to is is what they kind of, they kind of need Jamal to be that guy though, right? Like they need that alpha scoring option uh, on offense because you're never going to get that with Jokic. It's just not his game. It's not, you know, how many times do we, we hear the season talk about aggressiveness uh, right. when it came to Nikola Jokic? Um, he's, I think he is, he's gotten better at it uh, over the year, but or, over this season specifically, but, but I don't think Nicole is ever going to be the guy who consistently wants to take 20, uh, 25 shots a game. Um, and be kind of the 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 volume scorer, which is sort of a uh, a bad word in, in the NBA today. But I, I still think I, it's a it's a role that you have to have that every championship team has. And usually, the player who plays that role is one of, if not the best player on the team. Um, whether or not Jamal becomes that is is to be seen. But I guess. Brendan, is it like a can he become like a twenty point per game scorer? Because that to me is is kind of that bar that they need him to get past. You know, average of twenty one, twenty two points a game, um, and that if if he's doing that, then that gives you that sort of consistent scoring option that you need to be a really competitive team. So I'm gonna say yes to the first part of the question. I think I'm fully sold on the fact that Murray's gonna be at least a twenty point per game type of dude. We've seen the, the massive jump in points per game from rookie to sophomore season. Obviously, that type of progression isn't linear, but right. that's just who Murray is, right? Almost a right. seven-point jump in points per game, four-point jump in field goal attempts. He's still 21. He's going to be a 40% shooter from deep, and he shoots so well from the from the free throw line. I think he's going to need to draw a little more fouls probably to get closer right. to 20 points per game. He's so effective from the line, still learning how to draw fouls the way maybe Absolutely. a Danilo Gallinari could last year. I think that's something the Nuggets were really missing is a guy who can just, when the offense is stalled out, can just put his head down and drive and draw fouls. They were missing some of that. So I'd like to see Murray take that step. But Zach, I'm fully sold on this question. I actually disagree with you a little bit on the premise that that's the bar they need him to clear. And okay. my, th- my thinking there is is simply that I think he's going to. I think we can put our ships in, in the middle there. Um but it's just the other stuff that he doesn't do as a point guard that I think don't allow Denver to be an optimal version of themselves. I know you wanted to get to that some of that stuff a little later, so I don't want to moderate no, we this could, podcast we could, for we you. We can roll into it right now, man. There's, sure, yeah. Um, there's no I, moderation on this podcast. We just, we just make it up as we go. It's my first time, man. I'm just trying to know my role <laughs> out here. Try um, to stay in your lane. Yeah, exactly. No, I think he's going to be that 20-point-per-game guy, man. But I, I think – he needs to obviously he needs to improve on the defensive side of the ball. So much right. has been made of Jokic's struggles and deservedly so. But when you're talking about pick and roll defense, there's two cogs in that equation, right? And and Murray has been a, a horrific pick and roll defender. He's been mm-hmm. a bad off ball defender. He just doesn't seal off the point of attack. I I say this, I'm these are are nitpicks of a player that I think is going to be great, but right. obviously defensively, if you're going to have a player like Nikola Jokic, you probably need some better point of attack defense than Murray. Yep. Yep. Sticking with the pairing with Jokic theme, he really struggles at getting Jokic the ball. And that's a problem yeah. because Jokic is, is the best player on the team. And and I'll get a, a little more specific what I mean by that. The Nuggets took way less threes from the corner this year. A lot of them were above the break. I think some of that is symptomatic of their inability to get the ball to the roll man in the middle of the floor. It's not yeah. just Jokic, but also Millsap and Plumlee. These are talented passers. The defenses collapse. They make that extra pass to the corner. And Murray has been very, very bad at making the quick and correct decision as a pick-and-roll ball handler. and He just can't get the ball to Jokic in advantageous positions. And then, obviously, sticking with that theme, the post-entry passing, which the entire team has struggled with. But Murray, as a point guard, which admittedly means something very different today than it did 20 years ago, that's a skill that you really need to have down, especially if you have skilled post players. So. For me, Zach, it's that type of stuff, the point guard stuff. And we talked about it a bit before, the ability to penetrate. 
and and hit, you know create off the dribble. Murray can't really do that. He gets stuck right. when he dances, and so it's, yeah, it's he's that, got like yeah. that little step back, but that's that's kind of like really his only the only right. dribble move I can think that he's right. used to create space for himself. And he'll try it like two or three times in a row. Sometimes right, he'll eat up seven to nine seconds in a possession, and he's just going nowhere. And so. Right. You know, if he can improve on that, and then finally, I know I just threw a lot at you, his decisiveness. Often when the ball is swinging on the outside on the, along the perimeter, the ball gets to Murray, and it's his turn to either make the next pass right away or just shoot the ball. And right. he'll, he'll hesitate and put the ball on the floor. So those are, you know, again, I'm nitpicking, but I actually think the Nuggets are, in addition to needing 20 points per game, they're going to need someone to fill that traditional point guard role. I, I think – not having Jameer Nelson really, really hurt, man. It does. And it was um, one of the funny things, anybody who's uh, followed me on Twitter for a long time or read, read me on Stiffs for a long time knows that like, I, was, I was a big, uh, big proponent of, of trading for Devin Harris. Yeah. Um, and, and it was funny to watch uh, at the beginning when they first got him how much he struggled because he was uh, coming from Dallas where he was playing basically uh, uh, the small forward position. Um, or the shooting guard, and then having to go back to playing point guard. But what I was really interested in, or thought was really interesting to see, was was how much better uh, the Nuggets got with Her- Devin Harris on the floor as he once he got back accustomed to being into that point guard role. Um, and then really right down there at the stretch, I think we saw a lot, especially in, 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 when it was most effective was when Devin Harris and, and Jokic were on the floor together. I thought we really got to see um, again that how much that benefits uh, Jokic when he's got. Uh, a true point guard uh, passing him the ball, and and so I agree that that's a that's a major uh, a major part of, of Jamal Murray's game that that needs to develop. I don't I I wouldn't even say it's nitpicking. I think um, that that's certainly um, his biggest weakness uh, right now on the offensive end. The defensive end, um, like you said, there's there's a lot going on there, and I think the Nuggets knew that. Not not think I know the Nuggets knew knew that when they, when they picked him. I asked him Connolly. Um, on draft night, when he uh, when he drafted Jamal Murray, if he felt that he had um, addressed the defense, and, and he noted specifically with Jamal that he was going to have to improve uh, on the defensive end to become a uh, a positive player on that end of the floor. So I think the Nuggets knew that it was kind of take them some time um, with him on that end. But I, I think they were hoping, or maybe not even hoping, they they were thinking at the time when they drafted him that he was probably going to be a shooting guard. Um, and, and then now he kind of, because, uh, somewhat of because what happened with Moutier, somewhat of because just Jamal's been so good, they had to find a way to get him on the court more. Uh, they, the, he's become a point guard. They've, or they've basically made him the point guard of the future for the team. And if you're going to do that, like you said, I mean, you, he's got to become better, um, in that traditional sense and become a better distributor. And then especially it was such a running joke for so long, the, the post entry thing and, and how bad, I mean, just how bad the entire team was. When you the, you when you're the point guard though, like you said, that that you it's a, you really is kind of on you um, to get the ball in the post, and it's especially true with the Nuggets because that's where they want to start the action. They right. they're not going to have Jokic bring the ball up the floor uh, every single time and then just immediately take it down into the post. That's not how it how it works. Like you, he's got to get positioned down there and then get the ball fed to him. Right. Murray's got to be the guy to do that. Like that's that's got to be his role. And when you've got a team like the Nuggets, um, as we're saying, who who not only has a great post player in Jokic, but has a player who they want to get the ball in the post to start their offense, like it's not being able to get the ball to him is a critical, critical uh, issue that they need to deal with. Um, and, and so that, 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 that is a really good point. Uh, on the defensive side, like I said, I think they know that um, that going into this thing, he was going to be a project there. Uh, but I think you bring up a great point again, going back with the, the, cause everything revolves around Jokic on this team. Like, I don't think Nicole Jokic is as bad a defender as people make him out to be. I don't think he's a good defender. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I, I don't think he's totally helpless on that end. That being said, he will never be a guy who is going to erase mistakes on the perimeter, um, at the rim. Like that's right. not, he's not Marcus Camby. That's not who he is. You so in order to be an effective defensive team, you've got to mitigate that, and how you mitigate that is by really limiting um, mistakes on the perimeter and specifically dribble penetration. Murray can't do that right now. Nobody on this team can do that right now. Yeah. Um, so, I, Torrey Craig is your is your best best defender out out on the perimeter right now. So, 
that's something that the entire team, Murray included, has to get better. And Murray is one of those guys as a point guard who, if at six foot three, six foot four, he's generally going to have the size advantage in most matchups. So he really should be able to excel um, at, at defending the perimeter. He's generally always going to have the length um, that that should be able to prevent most players from getting by him. He just hasn't. He just hasn't put it together. And then, and then, like you said, also on the pick and roll, man. The, that that that's where he to me as a defender, that's where he struggles the most. And it's it's at this in this year, NBA, you have to be able to defend the pick yep. and roll. If you don't, yep. you get killed. Why does Houston kill the Nuggets every time? Because they've got incredible pick and roll ball handlers and Chris Paul and James Harden and one of the best fin- roll and finish men in Clint Capella. That I mean. That they exploit that matchup with with Jokic and Murray specifically over and over and over, um, and, and that that's kind of like the extreme example. But that's that's what happens, you know. And that's that's a team in Houston that you're going to have to get past at some point. Um, you got to figure that out. So I agree. That's that's probably the um, the biggest thing he needs to work on on defense at least is that the pick and roll uh, pick and roll defense. Let's let's go ahead and let's shift gears now. Let's move into our our second. Um, our second guy that we want to review. Yep, because we are we're already we're we're way past time. I like it though. Uh, <laughs> no worries. Um, uh, Gary Harris, who I uh, man, what what can you what can you say about Gary Harris that that you know what more can you say? I guess is one of the more more impressive players on the teams in terms of year to year development um, that that we've seen. He had uh, obviously Gary's been the starter now uh, for for a couple of seasons, um, and so he had yet another season as Denver's starting starting two guard. Uh, I thought with Gary, one of the biggest things that we saw uh, from him was he was he kind of did start to establish more uh, more ability on ball on offense, more ability to create for himself. Definitely. Um, which Definitely. which is which is which is a big right uh, a big part of what they needed him to do. Um, he once again, I mean, just a, another guy who pr- improves across the board. Uh, his shooting more or less stayed the same this year. wasn't quite as effective as a three point shooter as he was last year. But I think most people last year saw saw him shoot forty two percent from three and thought that might be uh, a little bit more. But he shot right basically right at forty percent, which is still really good. Um, Going back to how we how we start this out though, is his season a success, a failure, or par for the course? Kind of like how I felt about Nicole Jokic. Like it's it's successful. It's definitely not a failure in any ways. Um, but it, it's almost again par for the course because you you start to expect this out of Gary now, right? Like that he's going to just continue to make uh, these types of improvements. So I mean, ultimately, I guess I would say it's a success because he continued successful trends um, for himself, but. I almost get to the point of wondering, like, uh, when when is it when is it gonna stop? Because every year we think, okay, Gary's pretty much at his ceiling. This is this is who he is, and every year he gets a little bit better. So, um, it, it's like I said, it, it's almost becoming expected, which is probably a bit unfair to him. But um, definitely, definitely a successful season all around. Brandon, would you would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I would call it a successful season. <clears throat> I understand what you're getting at with the par for the course in terms of he successfully raised the bar for the expectations for himself. I mean, right. he's changed himself, not just season to season, like chunks of season at a time, he comes back as a better and more improved player. But that's why I'm going to call it a success, Zach. I, I think you hit on the key point uh, at the top there, and it's that he added that extra element of the ability to create for himself off the bounce and while he certainly wasn't Gallo in terms of putting his head down and going to the rim, I thought he turned a corner in his ability to use those football shoulders, right, to finish at right. the rim, He'd absorb contact and bounce off. And we saw him do it in times where, like, the offense looked frustrated and desperate. And Gary said, okay, I'll make it happen. So I thought that was a very encouraging development. Another development that I liked was his improvement as a passer in the pick and roll, uh, particularly because, as we've talked about at great length, the Nuggets lack someone who's really skilled in that area. Harris certainly is not a pure point guard, but he improved. Right. I mean, he he added that little pocket pass, that like one hand off the dribble, yep. just bounce it through. Uh, he found little creative ways to get it to Jokic that I didn't think he had in the bag in seasons past. So 
for me, it's a, a, for me, it is a success. Although obviously that injury at the end of the season sort of, I mean, it would be much easier to call it a success if he had stayed healthy and led them into the playoffs. Let me just put right. it that way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that, that was tough. We'll, we'll get into that in just a second. Cause I, I think that injuries and Gary Harris in, in particular, I think is a somewhat interesting subject that hasn't, uh, hasn't quite been approached yet. Um, but it's tough, man. That you're right to to lose him in that just critical, critical point of the season, um, and then right after, of course, he gets hurt. The Nuggets really struggled um, mightily before finally, finally, kind of turning it around and then going on that win streak at the end. Um, if you have Gary Harris on that seven game road trip, you really wonder how different does the season look. Maybe it doesn't look any different. Maybe they end up winning some more games on that road trip and then not right being pressure. You know. Uh, they didn't. I mean, they, maybe they don't rise to the moment and go on that great win streak at the end. Um, if without that pressure of kind of having to rise to the moment, you know what I mean. So maybe the season ends out the same, but but losing him in that key stretch certainly, um, certainly hurt this team. Let me ask you this though, Brandon. Like we said, he he, he continues to incrementally get incre- incrementally get better uh, every year. Where is the ceiling at for for Gary Harris? I, I think a, a common um, comparison is we like to compare all of our our players to the Warriors. Apparently, uh, a, a lot of people want to compare Gary Harris to Clay Thompson. Is that fair, or or is that at least like his ceiling uh, as a player? You know, I don't love that comp actually. Again, because first of all, Clay is a transformative player defensively. And right. Well, Harris took several steps. As an off-ball defender, he's got that quick reaction time. He deflects so many passes. He's just not long enough to really guard guys on on the perimeter the way some of the elite defenders do in this league. So that's a tough one. I've always liked Bradley Beal, although that, again, would require some, some more major leaps in his ability to score off the dribble. Harris isn't that kind of a guy. Right. I like this question because it, it reminds me of one of my favorite articles of the year. Uh, Chris Herring for 538. Basically, he wrote this this profile on Harris. and um, I shouldn't say profile. He wrote this piece on Harris's season and this exact dynamic, this, this way he sort of quietly, and we mean that literally, he's such a quiet dude, right. uh, transformed himself into one of the more underrated and one of the more complete guards in the game. And he, he compared him to Kawhi Leonard. And I love that comp, not necessarily play style. Obviously, the length, the defense, these are different guys. But it's it's that dynamic. It's This dude was drafted to be a very specific type of player. And each season that he comes back, he shattered the mold that we've been so eager to apply to him. Right. So in that sense, it's, a, it's very much a Kawhi type of guy, which is why I'm hesitant to put a ceiling on him. Obviously, there's going to be one, Zach. I, Harris is not ever going to be one of the top 20 players in the league, in my opinion, or anything like that. But it, it almost seems foolish to try to put a ceiling on him now. And if there's one thing he's shown us, it's that he's going to add another element to his game in, in the off season. So right. he's still young. I expect him to just keep shattering the mold, man. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, that, that is a really good point. Uh, the Kawhi Leonard uh, comparison, like you said, they're not, they're not the same player. Um, but their their path through the NBA exactly. uh, is very very similar, and, and and that's and so that maybe that is the ceiling. You know, you look at Kawhi is sort of that quiet superstar, um, where he became over just over the years became uh, to a point where he improved every year until the that his improvement had just brought him up to being one of the best players in the league. I think I think you know Gary I think could be a top twenty player in in the NBA. Um, not not all time, but uh, at least in, in the current NBA. Um, but it's going to take that kind of that kind of continuous year to year improvement um, to the point to where when he's like you know twenty seven, twenty eight years old, yeah, he might be right around that um, that spot, and that's probably where I think his peak is at. Whether or not he reaches it, though, is is going to be. I don't think it's going to be any matter of of, of Gary's work ethic or, or, or what he's going to put in. It's it's a lot of of luck, to be honest with with you about you know Gary's a guy who we've already was in trade rumors um, just last off season was was from everything we've heard on the verge of being dealt to Indiana um, on draft night and and so you wonder with a guy like Jamal Murray next to him and, and what we kind of talked about Jamal Murray's um, shortcomings as a point guard if. 
how how long will the Nuggets stick with that, or will they maybe try and move on from one of those two guys? And if it's Gary, uh, you know, where does he end up? What situation does he end up in? There's mm. so many outside factors that I think could affect it. But if if he's here in Denver, um, I think he's got a, a good chance to, to really continue to shine in the role that they put him. He's one of the guys on the team who I think you really feel like, yeah, he needs to improve some things. Defense, uh, on-ball defense. Um, pick and roll defense, which, but that, that, like we said, that's something that kind of everybody on the team needs to work on. Um, he's one of the guys though on the team who I feel like, like he is perfectly suited for his role uh, that they want him to play. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And and it's hard to find that, you know, it's been a bit clunky with, with Murray, like we said, trying to make him into a point guard. It's been a bit clunky, uh, with Paul Millsap, uh, uh, but it's been a bit clunky with Nicole Jokic, you know, uh, for all intents and purposes. Gary's one of the few guys where it's it's really not been clunky, you know. Ever since ever since Michael Malone has come here um, and has given Gary the opportunity, he he's he's just ran with it. So um, that's why I think, like you, it's hard to put a ceiling on it. But I think the ceiling is a lot higher than people think because I think he's in a great situation um, for him to continue to shine. The thing that I worry about. Um, that I think that a luck plays a huge part of it uh, is is a bit the injuries. Um, I hate I hate the term injury prone. I hate it. I hate. I had so many arguments with people in the Denver Stiss comment boards about Danilo Gallinari and whether or not he was injury prone because I said no, he's not injury prone. He's really unlucky, uh, and maybe he's not a, a guy like a Jamal Murray who's going to just play through two sports hernias uh, and, and go out there and, and suck it up, uh, even if he's not 100%. Like, maybe that's uh, not what Gallo was about, but he wasn't... There was nothing that made... None of his injuries that made him more likely to get another injury, okay? When I think a guy who's injury prone, like really injury prone, you think of a guy like, like a Brandon Roy, right? Who had a legitimate health issue that was going to progressively get worse and continue to make him have health issues. That's a person who's injury prone. Uh, a guy like Danilo Gallinari, a guy like Gary Harris has just been unlucky, but... Gallo, I, the reason I bring up Gallo is because while I can make that argument, he's hurt almost every single season. Um, and and so there you get the other side of the argument, right? So when I look at Gary, this year he played 67 games. Um, he got hurt at a, at a crucial point on a freak play, on a play that just happens, and he actually got quite lucky, I thought. I thought it could have been a lot worse um, when, when he had that knee injury. Uh, but you think about last season, he, right. He had the groin, um, right out of the gate, uh, missed like the first, uh, six or so weeks. He only played 57 games, uh, last season. And so it's really since his first, or well, I guess the second season, you don't really count his first season cause he was, uh, inactive for a lot of it, but only that second season where he was given the, the reins as a starter, did you really get a full year out of him where he played 76 games? Brennan, are you worried that he might be an injury prone or or there might be uh, going forward a, a situation kind of like a Gallo situation where he, he ends up having a lot of these kind of smaller nagging injuries that end up adding up and, and keeping him out 15, 20 games a year? You know, I'm not worried yet, Zach, although I do think these things sort of add up and players start overcompensating, right, when they're nagged right. up in certain ways and that can lead to uh, increased likelihood of, of other injuries. This last one, man, really seemed like a freak accident, right? Right. And Harris plays hard, but he doesn't play hard the way Westbrook or John Wall does. It's not like Bryce Harper playing right field, right? He's not trying to sacrifice his body on every possession. I don't look at him as the type of guy that really worries me long term. That said, man, it's funny. Like this question, the first time someone asked me, isn't Harris injury prone? I dismissed it almost immediately. And then I stopped and I thought, and I'm like, man, he has spent a lot of time out in his first right. few years in the league. It's a valid question, man. I'm not worried yet. I am with you that this <laughs> this question is is interesting because I'm inclined to agree with you that injury prone is overused and maybe right. even a myth. But then guys like Andrew Bogut exist. Right. It's pretty, it's pretty hard to – like For guy- some, guy, some guys just get injured, although – I, I don't know if, if it, it – I think it's still too early to, to look at Harris that way. Right, and I think the the thing too – and nobody looked at Gallo this way either until he had the catastrophic knee injury, right? I think when you look at guys – when you think of guys who are injury prone, they've all had that 
really big bogut. You know, another guy multiple times has had season-ending injuries where where they've missed entire years. Uh, we haven't seen that from Gary, and hopefully, you know, God willing, we won't ever see that um, from Gary Harris. But if something were like that to happen, I think, uh, you know, perhaps then maybe that, that narrative starts um, getting driven more. And I just, man, I... I don't want to get off on this tangent here, but I really hate it. It's it's such an unfair thing to do to a guy. Like, I mean, they can't control that, you know? Like, it's this, there's nothing know, they can but do. At, it. At, at the same time, man, it's like, and I'm not even necessarily giving him credit. It's just, but then there are guys like LeBron who take on right. the biggest workload probably in NBA history, and he's never hurt. And right. so, I mean, I'm with you that, like, I don't want to hold it against players, right? It's, it's not as simple as LeBron works harder on his body, although we know that he does. But right. clearly there's some sort of spectrum here, right? And I don't know if that's just dumb luck. I'm sure things like running style, like when you get, when you're talking about bigger players, things like running style, just how they carry themselves, right? And feet, knees, and back, I, that all makes right. sense to me. But you're right, dude. It's, it's, it's a frustrating question. And I don't know. Sometimes guys just pick up freak accidents and that that's exactly. what I think happened to, to Gary here. So I'm not too worried about that. I do yeah. want to take a, a really brief stab at one point you made before right. we moved on to the injury stuff. We talked about just sort of differences in like th- things that have to go right for player development beyond a player's work ethic. And I just wanted to want to be perfectly frank. There's a difference between being drafted to San Antonio and being drafted by Denver. Yeah. And just right. right? I mean, I don't really need to explain that. I think we all know exactly what I mean. So yeah, you're right. Like I think one concern is, is this the place that's going to optimize Harris? Like, is this the best place for him to develop as a player? But that's, we're past that. I just wanted to throw that in there that it's not like the Spurs are a dream scenario for a guy with that type of work ethic. Right. It's not, you kind of think if Gary Harris had been drafted by the Spurs, he might be on like a Kawhi Leonard level right now, you know, just it's possible, man. Like, it, right. you know, Kawhi's special, but Gary is, I think it's it, partly because he plays in Denver, partly because his name is Gary Harris. I mean that literally, but people don't talk about him. And right. I, I was born on the East coast. I lived on the West coast. I've dedicated my time as a Nuggets, <laughs> as a Nuggets writer to like explaining to my friends back home that they should be watching Gary Harris. And I had to explain to people that he's a better player than Andrew Wiggins. So, you know, if yeah. you watch him, it's clear Kawhi is a high ceiling. But what, what I love is that Gary seems to have raised his floor every single season. Yeah, and, absolutely. And now you've just got this guy who is just so consistent and so comfortable in on this roster and in that role. So I'm just a huge fan, man, if you can't absolutely. tell. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Brendan's got at least five Gary Harris jerseys in his his closet right now, um, in case anybody was wondering. All right, you know I tell you, we will uh, let's go ahead and let's hit a break, man. We're um, I think we we've we've gone ahead and, and given Gary a good a good rundown. We still got some time, so we will um, when we come back, uh, we will get into into the NBA playoffs. Why not uh, take a little break from Nuggets action? Check in on. On, on where the playoffs are at. I know Brendan's one of the one of the guys who actually watches like every playoff game. Um, I am a loser. That is correct. <laughs> yeah. There's no dating, no dating on the weekend for Brendan. It's, no, it's, no. His dates are with the NBA. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's take a break and we'll be right back. Welcome back into the Pickaxe Funded Show. Zach Mikosh, Brendan Vote, DenverSys.com. We are getting closing in on that 5 o'clock hour here on Saturday. Uh, you are listening to Nothing But Net Radio and the Pickaxe Funded Show. We uh, So we, we spent our first half talking about Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, kind of breaking down their seasons. Now we'll, we'll, we'll finish off the show going just going into the general. Um, the general NBA, since we are in the NBA playoffs right here, right now. We're kind of, uh, last week Last week was fun. We were, we were just right in the middle, beginning stages of the of the first round. Uh, now the first round has kind of started to shape up um, with just a few, a few um, series still left to be decided. One of those, though, 
uh, is now the Indiana Pacers Cleveland Cavaliers series. That game will go to a game seven, uh, which we play probably what Monday, uh, maybe Sunday. Um, so Brendan, we were like, right when when Indiana wins game one in in Cleveland. Uh, it kind of put everybody on notice real quick because this year, I think more, more so than any year since LeBron went to Miami, uh, this year there's questions about will he, will LeBron's team get to the finals? And I think when, when Indiana came out and wins that game one, um, suddenly that put everybody on notice. Oh, this is, this is it. You know, they lost home court advantage here in the first round. Um, of course they get it back there in game four. Four, right? Was it four? Was it four? What did they win in? in they won game. Did they win game three in Indiana. I think they did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, they get that home court advantage back. Now, now we're headed to a game seven, um, which is almost par for the course with LeBron. Right? He almost it, it, it either goes one of two ways. Either they just blow, uh, they blow their first round opponent out and sweep them, or they end up in a game seven. It seems like there's no in between there. Um, where where's your belief level at right now, Brennan? Like, are they? Do you believe that LeBron still has what it takes to to will this team um, into the finals, or is this the year where we finally see a non-LeBron led team uh, end up playing for the championship? Man, that's that's a question. Headed into the playoffs, I thought that we were doing what we always do come right. March and April, which is just doubt LeBron for some reason, as if he's not going to waltz into the finals. I knew this Cavs team was significantly worse than any team he's played for since he left Cleveland initially. Right. I, I didn't realize it was going to be quite this bad, Zach. He's done all the things I expected him to do personally. It just hasn't seemed to matter. And right. last night watching Indy blow them out in Indiana, I, as someone who loves LeBron James, who considers it like it's sacrilege to miss a LeBron James playoff game. As far as I'm concerned, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy watching that game for one second. And the the Cavs are just so bad. And what scared me, the defensive stuff we knew about is how bad they've been offensively. Right. They They were actually an exceptional offensive team in the regular season. And when your second best player is Kyle Korver, it's kind of hard to look at you as a true threat. Right. That said, man, if we're going to frame this question as does he have what it takes? Hell yeah, he does. It's LeBron right. James, right? It's LeBron James. And I, you know, one, there's a couple of possibilities here. I've been sort of kicking around. And one is that as bad as Cleveland's look, if they're to advance, there's probably going to be some regression to the mean offensively. They're not going to be this bad. I mean, maybe Jeff Green will, but everyone else, I expect right. them to pick it up a little bit. So, and moreover, Zach, Toronto struggled mightily with a Washington team that is a mess. Yeah, yeah would absolutely. Not, would not have been too scared if I were LeBron of Washington. Milwaukee's bad. Boston is banged up. So the path is still there, man. It's mm-hmm. Philly. Yeah, it's, it's Philly for sure. It's Philly. Philly, if you're a LeBron fan, Philly should scare you because it LeBron can score 44 points right now and it, it won't even be a close game. So right. I don't know, man. My, my confidence is waning here by the day. Right, yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see. To see. I, it's hard to bet against him in a game seven. You know, if you, if you're going to be in a game seven, the you probably the first player you want on your team is LeBron James. Um, so it, it's tough to think they won't get past Indiana here. But man, like like you know, you said if you're a LeBron fan, you should be worried about Philly. I I well, I 100% agree. And and last week we kind of talked about uh, who we thought might come out of the East, and and I said Philly. Um, Right now, though, if you're a LeBron fan, man, I think you should fear Victor Oladipo because that guy's uh, yeah. that yeah. guy is about to carry this could carry this Pacers team um, over the top and end up uh, end up knocking knocking LeBron out in the first round, which would be crazy. Um, I can't even remember the last time that's happened. It he's never lost in the first round. That's okay. That's what I was wondering. I was like, has it ever happened? And this I was, was actually this series game one was the first time LeBron James lost a single game in the first round. Since 2012, when Melo dropped 40. So, I mean, even just the fact that we're to this point, Zach, is noteworthy, man. Right. (laughs) It's a big deal. And part of it is Cleveland being worse than we thought. But part of it is Indiana being better than we thought. And that's a team that, you're right. I mean, I'm sitting here doing the once LeBron wins game seven. Well, what about what if Indy wins? Right. You know, Philly's a better team. Toronto's a better team. 
but are they playing like better teams right now? Philly, yeah. maybe. Toronto, no. So oh, yeah, absolutely. If I'm a Pacers fan, this went from like, can we get two or three against Cleveland to can we go to the freaking finals? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. so wide open. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I, I'm certainly nervous. Like I can accept that the league has changed. And I'm, I'm speaking as a LeBron Stan here to be clear. Uh, <laughs> I can accept that the league has changed. I'm really not ready for a post LeBron era and I've never seen his greatness be so futile. <laughs> and I've never, right. I've never been more sad watching him play. So I can't tell. I can't tell if I want Cleveland to just get waxed so LeBron just leaves or if but I don't know if I'm ready to listen to the internet talk about LeBron losing in the first round. Oh god, yes. That's all right. You you've just swayed me. I'm I'm fully <laughs> fully uh, root for Cleveland in game 7. Yeah. Uh, just just so I don't have to listen to that narrative. Um all right, let's let's, let's shift it over to to we we, we mentioned uh, who I thought was the the most the most interesting first round team. Um, especially in the Western Conference, uh, and that is the New Orleans Pelicans. They blow the doors off Portland, right? Uh, sweep them. Um, and while I think um, anybody who's been watching the NBA kind of knew that, all right, Portland, yes, they're a three seed, but it's it's different this year because the three seed versus nine seed was, uh, in terms of quality and talent level, was pretty much, yeah, three seed versus ten seed was pretty much uh, uh, fairly similar. Um then, then uh, particularly the the Pelicans, which we, we talked a lot about this last week, but the Pelicans in particular a, a bad matchup for the Blazers, um, and and that that uh, obviously hurts Portland's. But 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 the way that New Orleans dominated, I certainly think was unexpected. Um, now they go into, and now I'm curious because they go into uh, a second round matchup with the Warriors. Stephen Curry is uh, uh, questionable for game one. Um, you you're obviously picking the Warriors to win that series, but that being said, when you think about the thing that the Warriors struggle the most with, um, I would say it's skilled bigs who particularly can't have the size um, to be able to not get bothered by Draymond Green uh, too much because they can essentially just shoot over him uh, if they have to. New Orleans probably has the they probably have the two best bigs. Of course, Demarcus Cousins is out, but. They they have right now. I mean, and Anthony Davis probably the the big who fits that description the best. And and I am very curious to see uh, how they how they approach that because you can't. I don't, like I said, I think Draymond will struggle with with Davis because of the the height disadvantage there. Uh, I think Javale McGee will struggle with Anthony Davis because it's Javale McGee and Anthony Davis. Um, and I'm curious to see how they how they match up against that. Uh, also curious to see how Steph performs because not only is he coming off an injury and you know he's probably not 100%, Drew Holiday and Rajon Rondo might be the two best, uh, certainly the best defensive point guard tandem that I can think of. Um, and so that's going to going to present a difficulty for him as well. When I look at that series, to me, it's, it's really Kevin Durant is going to be the difference maker um for the warriors let me ask you though brennan i mean uh, let me ask you is there any chance at all that you see that where the pelicans could pull the upset and beat golden state no Uh, (laughs) i I think if i I shouldn't say there's no chance there's no chance of steph's healthy Uh, i think that i think most people obviously feel that way but there's no uh it's not a given that steph plays he's been upgraded to questionable but kerr's been pretty um dramatic with his comments about Curry. Maybe he's just tempering expectations, but you know, Curry's hurt and there's no guarantee that if he comes back, he's going to be a fully effective guy. Now, obviously you want Curry out there, even if he's hoppled because of the gravity effect there. But yeah, I think if you're drafting a team to go up against the Warriors with one, one might still be LeBron, but at least two, if not one is Anthony Davis, right? He brought up a great point. They don't have a great center. And they're able to mitigate that with the length and versatility of Kevin Durant and Draymond Green, but Anthony Davis is too much for those guys. He's right. too strong for he's too strong for Kevin. That could get Kevin in foul trouble. He's too big. He's too fast for Draymond. And right. So that's like the the ultimate X factor. And the defense that we saw from Drew and Rondo, um, the pick and roll defense we saw from Davis and Miritich, they shut down one of the most talented backcourts in the league. So if, yep. if it's a hobbled Curry or if it's no Curry, yeah, that makes things interesting, man. I mean, I'll I'll bump it as high to like a ten percent chance that the 
Pelicans can flirt with a, a series victory. I would never bet any money on it. Right. Right. I don't yeah. have I don't have any money to bet anyway, so that's not a problem <laughs> for me. Um, but yeah, I think I think the Pelicans, the way they're playing, are a very very interesting matchup for an injured Golden State team. Absolutely, I, I like your higher glass half full guy, there, Brennan. That's that's nice. You know, I for I, now. I, I can't for bet now. on it, but I don't have any money to bet for now. The world hasn't beat you down no, I'm just still yet. There you go. Yeah, there you go. You'll end up my age and bitter. Um, I'm bitter and, and posting your hot takes on Twitter. That's that's what happens <laughs> when you when you reach your thirties. Uh, yeah, I agree, man. It's it's there's it's not a high percentage chance. It's it's not because it's it's Golden State. There's one team who has a better than ten percent chance of beating Golden State, in my opinion, and that's Houston. Um, yep. Everybody else is everybody else is below that threshold. But the Pelicans, like we said, they're 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 certainly a tough matchup. Certainly not an ideal matchup. I think uh, Golden State would have much rather. Um, got the uh, the Blazers. Can uh, I ask you a question? Yeah. Do you if you're so you're a Pelicans fan in this hypothetical here? Mm-hmm. Do you w- wish that Boogie is back for this series? Oh, that's that's tough. I thought you were going to ask me what what they do with Boogie after the season. I was like, yeah, that's, that's that you know pretty much the same sort of <laughs> right same, same sort of question. But um, I guess, yeah, do you think they're a, a a a better or worse matchup for Golden State with or without the big man? Oh, I think they're, they're, I think it makes the matchup even tougher just because DeMarcus Cousins is such a good player and he has a he has a totally another dynamic. And then you pretty much if uh, if the Pelicans do it right, you're pretty much going to have to deal with Davis or Cousins uh, 48 minutes, and that I think it would be particularly hard uh, for Golden State. That being said, though, they I mean the way Meritich is playing and everything, I mean it's they've got a really good thing going. And so when you look at like what do they do? Uh, in terms of of after the season is over, and it's almost like, man, do you really want to give Cousins that kind of money, especially coming off the injury, an Achilles injury, which is a when you talk about injury prone, not necessarily a recurring injury, but certainly an Achilles injury does change a player. Um, in in terms of what I mean, guys, guys that big and that old, <clears throat> guys of that age and that size just don't come back from that injury. I mean, Dominique did; he played at a high level. Right, That's, he's pretty remarkable athlete and a remarkable exception in a lot of ways right it's really really hard to see boogie being that guy man for me right would you would you re-sign him if you were the pelicans i think if i so (laughs) i don't think the pelicans should re-sign him i would re-sign him if i were the pelicans i gotcha i I know it sounds counterintuitive it's just an easy decision to make from the sidelines versus you're a franchise that just captured some success, albeit relative, and you're pretty much all in here on the Drew Davis era. There's not right. a lot of room for maneuverability, so you're not. They don't. They're not going to be able to bring anyone else in that's even close to that level of talent. Right. And so I, I, I think if I'm a, a GM and an owner, I don't really have a choice. I think I have to bring him back. But as a fan, Zach, I don't think they should. I think they're a better team without him. But that's. That's that's easy to say, you know, fresh off that Portland series. We'll see how Golden State goes. Yeah, right. Exactly. All right. Uh, well, we are pretty much out of time, so I'm just going to get this real quick, Brennan. Uh, no analysis, just straight up pick. Game seven between the Bucks and Celtics starts here in about an hour. Uh, who you got? Celtics. No doubt Celtics. in my mind. All right. I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Milwaukee just because um, I don't want the Celtics to win. That's, okay. that's, that's the no analysis, all, all emotion. Uh, all right. So, Brendan, what is your uh, what, what are you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter at bvote422. That's at bvogt422. And uh, hey, quick shout out: follow the Denver Stiffs Facebook page. Don't just follow us on Twitter. We're going to do some cool Absolutely. stuff from that account this season. So make sure you're uh, signed up and following along. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. If you guys haven't, and if you guys haven't following the uh, the Facebook, you know, uh, pretty much the only thing we do right now, especially with like the live video, is just me talking to you guys during warm ups. Um, where Brendan's got some cool ideas though, about some other stuff we're gonna do on there. So it's it's something you want to get onto. Uh, make sure you're following that page. Also, make sure you're following us on Instagram at the Denver Stiffs, um, and then on Twitter if you're not uh, at Denver Stiffs. I'm at Zach Mikosh. Um, I don't have like a sweet. 
uh, commercial almost ringtone or, or jingle like Brendan does with his <laughs> <laughs> with his but uh, I'm sure you guys can find me on there um, of course <laughs> strong plug that's it that's it right uh, you can tell how hard I'm trying uh, and obviously uh, nothing but net radio is at NBN dash radio um, all right Brendan man appreciate you being on good good first first time on the pickaxe I had a great time man anytime brother all righty, everybody. We will talk to you next week. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs. It's time to get serious about California's failing infrastructure. More than 1,600 bridges are structurally deficient. Proposition 6 will make things even worse. Prop 6 eliminates more than $5 billion annually in dedicated transportation funding. And 6 kills local traffic relief projects already underway. That's why the California Professional Firefighters and California Association of Highway Patrolmen all say no on 6. Paid for by no on Prop 6. Stop the attack on bridge and road safety. Sponsored by business, labor, local governments, and transportation advocates. Committee major funding from California Alliance for Jobs.